Welcome to Medicine for Good podcast. I am your host, Dr. Julieta Gabiola, clinical professor of medicine at Stanford University. What drew me to medicine was the science, the innovation, and the promise for a comfortable life. But what has kept me in medicine are the real people, their lives, and their stories, as well as the translation of medical innovations into practical applications. This podcast will explore experiences beyond the walls and corridors of the hospital, laboratories, and clinics. I invite you to share in our journey seeking to preserve and improve our lives, our sense of balance, and our well-being. Welcome to Medicine for Good podcast. The title of our podcast today is Art Heals. In medicine and in our daily lives, we are bombarded with changing circumstances and disruptions. Someone getting ill, losing a job or a friend diagnosed with a bad disease, work, spousal, or family demands, you name it, they seem to always surround us. Most recently, many believe that Life has flipped upside down, just as we thought that we are beating Delta, Omicron surface. Therefore, in order to survive and thrive, we need to develop strategies to cope so we can foster confidence, resilience, and hope, and have the ability to remain calm despite all the storm and noise around us. On recent podcasts on mental health, we talked about journaling, gardening, reading, going out with friends, exercise and increased physical activities, dance, psychotherapy, and self-compassion work. Today, we will introduce another dimension, art therapy, to help us refocus, reinvigorate, rechannel, and recharge. May I introduce a well-known person in her field of art psychotherapy, Dr. Patricia Isis. With a PhD in expressive psychotherapy, with emphasis in art therapy, Dr. Isis is a licensed medical and mental health counselor. She authored Mindful Doodle Book, published by PESI. She has been practicing art psychotherapy and mental health counseling in South Florida for over 40 years. She is a master art clinician with work in schools, hospitals, day treatment programs, substance abuse, eating disorders, and residential settings. She offers a full-time clinical art therapy services in public schools, maintains a part-time private practice, facilitates mindful self-compassion programs, and presents therapeutic art, mindful doodling, and mindfulness workshops locally, nationally, and internationally. She completed her PhD in expressive therapies with an emphasis on art therapy from the Union Institute and the University of Cincinnati in Ohio, and Master's in Expressive Therapy from Leslie University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Welcome, Patricia. It is so nice to have you join us today. Thank you so much for that humbling introduction, and it is such a delight to be here, such a delight to be here with you and on this amazing podcast that you brainstormed and executed so beautifully. Patricia, good morning to you, and I'm really excited to air this podcast, something that I don't know much about, art therapy. So could you kindly share with our audience on how art became really a part of your life? Well, it's an interesting story. From the age of four till the age of 11 years old, 
I took art lessons every Saturday morning for three hours at the Unitarian Church here in Miami, where I still live. And my teacher, Rudolph Valentino Adams, was an amazing man. He was a black hunchback, kind of funny looking with big black horn rim glasses. And he was passionate about art. And every Saturday, he would bring a new art experience to all of us. And one morning, seven years into his classes, when I was 11, he didn't come to class. It happened that he was killed in an automobile accident on the way to art class. And we were all devastated. And this was 1969. And I wasn't allowed to go to his funeral because of the color of my skin. And I was so angry that I couldn't honor him. In my 11-year-old brain, I had to find a way to honor this man who was like a second father to me. So I looked for ways to help people through art. And I found this book when I was 14 called Creative Art Therapy. Linda Beth Silby and Arthur Robbins. And I read the book cover to cover and decided when I was 15, that's what I was going to do in his honor. And I have now the PhD in art therapy. <laughs> I've studied all the expressive therapies as well and fall more in love with the profession every year because I know how incredibly precious creativity is for all of us in our own ways in healing ourselves. Wow. Such an amazing background, and thank you for sharing that initial experience. Is that art behind you, part of your work? Yes, this is a painting I did about three years ago. It's called The Sky at Any Moment, and it represents our weather patterns inside and outside, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral at any moment, and the intention of being with what is, as challenging as that can be at times. It's a reminder that it all matters. It's all about our lives and how we choose to be with them, with our states, <laughs> as we are human, compassionate messes. Absolutely. It reminds me when I drive to work each morning. So I come from Pacifica, which is the fog capital of California. I start off with my day with the fog and it's just in front of my eyes, like passing through and then reveals the bright sky right after the fog passes through. And it's amazing. And it just reminds me of life can be capricious, right? And enjoying the moment is the key, actually, and being in the present. I love the representation of your art. Thank you for sharing that. Let's just dive in. What is art therapy? Art therapy is a mental health profession. It is designed to help all sorts of people, ages and ranges of disorders and challenges through art making. Yet it requires tremendous skills because you're dealing with unconscious material. And for that reason, contrary to what a lot of people might think, art therapy requires graduate training. You must have a master's degree. You must be skilled to do no harm, as opposed to using art as a therapeutic tool, which we all have access to, doing our own art, whatever way we best find to do that, whether it's gardening or cooking or painting or dancing, whatever that is for ourselves is completely different than being with an art therapist, creating art in the way you need to, and having it witnessed and honored with somebody that has very distinct clinical abilities. It's not enough that, like, for example, I'm interested in art and I could paint and I'm a doctor. Oh, I could do art therapy. So I need additional training to be a qualified art therapist, correct? 
Yes, and that's really important because some people call themselves art therapists because they use art in their work, social workers, doctors, pediatricians, nurses, psychologists. Lots of people use art because it's such a great portal for mm -hmm. people to relax, to create a bond and safety, and that's fine. It's wonderful. However, it can't be called art therapy without a trained, qualified art therapist who's gotten their master's degree in art therapy. Thank you for clarifying that. I thought, oh, gee, I could be an art therapist. <laughs> That's wonderful to know the difference between therapeutic art and art therapy. What really moved you to integrate art as a line of interest in what you do each day? What kept you remain engaged and be inspiring to others? Well, I know in my heart how much my art making has helped me through so many difficult times in my life. Art brings order to chaos. It holds the suffering for us. It's a tremendous buffer guest and it doesn't require skill. This is different than being in an art class, trying to make a specific product look a specific way through specific techniques. What has engaged me in being an art therapist for 40 plus years is because I know, I realize not only what I'm bringing with my skills, but also my experience personally and seeing so many different people in so many different capacities find themselves through their art, whether it's a tiny little doodle or a gigantic sculpture, it doesn't matter. And the other beautiful thing is you don't have to be considered a skilled artist to benefit. That is definitely not a prerequisite. Just open-minded and willing to access yourself. And children up to the age of seven easily do that because they don't have performance anxiety. After that, our ego kind of interrupts a lot of our, our art making, our creativity, because we worry about what it looks like, what other people will think. And just noticing that is important too, because it's part of our culture and being human. The outcome is not the important thing in art therapy. Like nobody's judging. You could express yourself in many different ways. It's the outcome and the process equally. The outcome is important because we have it to hold that moment in time for us. Like this painting, I refer back to it. It brings me back to that place. So we can look at our process visually as we move along in our journey towards self-awareness, toward wellness and feelings of empowerment because it's coming from a place that is completely ours, untainted inside, which we're not normally trained to look toward for the answers. We're trained to look outside. And yet we have these habits of thinking and behaving. And in fact, they come from inside as do our emotions and our states. All that information is available and can be joined with through our symbolism, personal symbolism. It's nice that you clarified that you really don't have to have skill or expertise in art to participate in an art therapy session. Either. Correct. You have to find the right material for that individual or group that allows them to feel safe. For example, if I have a lot of anxiety or someone coming in with high anxiety, I'm going to make sure I have a really good pencil with a really good eraser because pencil is the easiest medium to control and we don't have to make a commitment. We can erase it. So if I'm real anxious, that would make me feel safer rather than giving somebody a paintbrush with watery paint that goes all over the place. That would not create more safety. So the material is important. That's one of the skills that art therapists possess.
is offering those kinds of media. How do you evaluate that? Do you ask the person like what medium they want to work with or do you assess them? And how is that done? There's a lot of different ways. Usually it really would depend on the age, the functioning level, the presentation. When a doctor sees a patient, you're sizing them up. How are they presenting? What's going on with them? What's the body language? I often just offer a few choices. I don't have a whole cluttered bunch of things and put on the table. I wouldn't have 36 colored pencils, for example, sitting there <laughs> to start. There might be a pencil and eraser, one piece of paper, and then I might ask, what do you enjoy? It would be a question like that. If it's somebody that's verbal, very often art therapists work with nonverbal or very withdrawn individuals also. So it may be just an offering that's available and see what happens. Again, it really depends. There's no recipe, so to speak. That's good to know. So that leads me to asking the next question, actually. Who will benefit from art therapy? Anybody that's able to use any part of their hands to create in some way. The only people that might not benefit is maybe somebody in a manic phase that wouldn't be able to sit still enough to create anything, or someone who's floridly psychotic it would be difficult for them to create in that moment something or to be still long enough. Other than that, really anybody can benefit from art therapy because it can be done so many different ways with found objects. You can even with a guided image, mm -hmm. gazing at a beautiful painting such as done in many hospitals with patients choosing a beautiful piece of art to gaze at in their room. That could be a passive form of art therapy. And our therapist has helped them design their room that way, their environment, giving them a little more control. So it can be done so many ways. That's interesting. How about people, for example, with dementia or cognitive dysfunction? Could they still participate in art therapy? Definitely. And you would be able to see how they perceive the world and what's fragmented for them. Very often the paintings become very disjointed, as are their thoughts and distorted. And you can watch the process of dementia through the art making. Also, there is a lot of research now of bringing people with dementia or those related disorders to museums, or also using photographs of their family members or of places they've been that activate the executive function of the left side of the frontal lobe and actually bring in more memory. Also, music is used that way. So yes, it has been in, used with that population. You mentioned the, with the exclusion of people with, like, for example, full manic episode or whatever. But how about people, for example, with PTSD and some aggressive behavior? How would they benefit from art therapy? So many ways. There's a lot of research going on with troops coming back from a lot of trauma. And it's been shown using mask making and also clay work, pounding clay or wood sculpture. It's an incredible outlet for those who are locked up as a way of expressing things that are really unspeakable. There's really no words, but to have your voice through the imagery is inherently healing. And then to have a trained witness, a skilled art therapist available to hold the space and be with you, to validate that level of expression that's quite powerful, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Could you just wrap up art therapy? Like, what are the possible advantages and benefits that people would derive from art therapy? 
okay, well, we know already that it reduces stress, the research is overwhelming, cortisol levels are lowered in saliva studies once a structured art task is completed. We know that it contains the suffering, that it elevates feelings of control, empowerment, wellness, that it offers opportunities for all kinds of uncensored expression and dialogue, access to the inner world, and ways of finding ourselves and validating our humanness over and over again without having the performance anxiety, not trying to make something a certain way, being with ourselves as we are, which in and of itself we know is incredibly important to self-esteem, wellness, or self-compassion, and a good life, making a good life for ourselves despite our flaws, despite our traumas, our mistakes, our faults. I find art as a useful tool for me to actually balance myself. But in terms of art therapy sessions, how much time do you provide a person to immerse into it? And do you stop them like within an hour? If like time is up, you know, one hour. Is that what happens in art therapy? Or is that a different form of therapy? Unlike psychotherapy, like the hour is up, you're done, next patient. Is that what happens in art therapy? Or you just have a room for them to keep going and express their emotions? It's a wonderful question. Again, it really depends. Some people in hospitals have open art studios where patients can wander in if they are able to do that and paint or create as long as they like with an art therapist. In the school settings, it really varies. Children don't have that high of an attention span. So the sessions can be anywhere from half an hour to 45 minutes, plus they're missing class time. So the sessions are structured where there's a warm-up and then there's creating time and then there's cleanup or processing, but the therapist is really in charge of helping that individual with the time. Like we're gonna take another 10 minutes, see if you can find a place that feels comfortable to stop for now. In my private practice, yes, sessions are a full hour typically. And again, yes, once you're in the heat of the creative moment, it is difficult to tear yourself away. And that's part of the clinical skills of an art therapist to help that individual with the boundaries of time that we all have to deal with. Yes, good question. But there's also time to make art in between sessions in your own time. And that's always available where you're not constrained. But yes, in a specific art therapy session, it is structured. Typically, unless it's an open art studio, I've had three hour sessions. It just depends on where you are, who's there and what you're working with and what your goals are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Good to know. Before we depart from art therapy, I heard about this landscape. Is it okay to tell personal experience that you may want to share our audience? Totally okay. Both my parents died of cancer young, so I've always been fearful of having cancer. And just a few months ago, I knew there was a nodule on my lung, which was just discovered serendipitously because I had a cough and I went for a scan and that was a couple of years ago and I had to go to a pulmonologist and he said let's watch if it looks okay and then COVID came and I didn't get a scan which I was supposed to but then my daughter reminded me in June to get a scan and then lo and behold the pulmonologist said oh it looks like it's changed and I had to get a PET scan which is where they find cancer and sure enough it turns out I have lung cancer and I had a surgical procedure to remove a third of my left lobe. 
And here I am. I'm very lucky. So far, so good. And I started creating what I call lungscapes. And for me, just to, here's a picture of the first one on purpose on a circular piece. And again, it's important that we create the foundation for ourselves because life is a circle. And I don't know if you could see this, but it's sparkle mod podge in between to show that both lungs, even though one lobe is, of course, a little smaller than the other, are sparkling. And this was the beginning of my lungscape series. This is the latest lungscape because now, several months later, I'm working it out, breaking out of the containment, openly being with the flow, not knowing like the rest of us what's going to happen because there is a recurrence possibility, yet allowing what is as it is. And so that's what this painting teaches me because it can be very scary and yet at the same time exciting. That is amazing. Following this podcast will be an interview with a 10-year-old who was diagnosed with Chordoma from the Philippines. And so we will be zooming from the U.S. to the Philippines. And he does a lot of art. As one is an expression of his emotions. And also, secondly, is he needs to make money to sell his art to pay the medical bills and the neurosurgical bills, etc. Thank you for sharing that. That is amazing. I mean, it creates meaning in what we do. I, myself, my two sisters were diagnosed with breast cancer, and there's three of us girls in the family. It's probably just like, I'm welcome that I may be diagnosed with breast cancer. Should I worry about it? Should I not worry about it? I figured I would not try to worry about anything that may or may not happen. So if it happens, then we will deal with it. And if it doesn't happen, I'm fortunate. But it's one of those things that in life, I think we could create or all this perpetual worry, right? Like with your history, with your parents, and I bet it's kind of a pure anxiety moment for all of us who track life with such a history. Sometimes it makes me wonder, should people have all those genetic testing? Why would I worry in my entire life that I would get demented, right? When I do all those testing at age 20, I said, that's a long time that I have to worry. So I worry about people also trying to get all those genetic testing, whether it's beneficial for them over a long haul or not. This is another dimension of art therapy that I'm actually very excited about because it was an embarrassment for me when I was teaching in the classroom. So I teach in the medical school at Stanford and my sessions are clinical reasoning. We discuss about the case from how the patient presents with symptoms and then how the diagnostic workup could occur. And I observed one of the students doodling and I was both like one is I was taken aback and I thought it was a negative thing for me because I said how can I not engage this person why is he doodling and stuff like that just to find out that when I read about doodling I found out that like characters like Leonardo da Vinci, Ludwig Beethoven, Einstein, Picasso, Mark Twain Sir Isaac Newton and Christopher Columbus were master doodlers. And I said, wow, this special, you know, <laughs> he's doodling. And I only found that out after the evaluation. 
after the quarter, we evaluate the students, they evaluate us. And that was the only time that I asked the student, I said, what's wrong with my teaching? How can I not engage you? You're perpetually doodling in my class. Your participation is spotty unless I call on you and stuff like that. And just to find out that this student, that's how he learns. That's how he expresses his pathways in his mind. And that's when I just realized that the ability of the student is different. His ability to learn is different. How he collects his random thoughts and how he follows our discussion is very different from the class. And I had to learn another way of teaching. I have to basically accept another way of learning. So tell me about doodling. I'm so excited to hear about this. We know doodling has reached a whole new status. A lot of it is, I believe, credited to Sunny Brown, who wrote The Doodle Revolution, the book, The Doodle Revolution. She's an entrepreneur in 2014, and she did a lot of research on doodling and found that doodlers actually have more memory retention of the lecture or a phone call than people just sitting there because of the way the brain works and our attention span and how the mind wanders. I wrote the Mindful Doodle book, and it was published in 2016. Because doodling is a wonderful way for non-artists or people that are intimidated by art making to access their inner world. And when we create doodling with intention, so for example, if I'm feeling anxious with Omicron now, which is certainly the, the case with the world at the moment, if I notice my anxiety first, here it is in my chest and I locate it, and then I get to know it, I can give it form if I want to, with either a pencil or Sharpie if I want to make it permanent, or a pen. It doesn't require very sophisticated materials. And just create a form that represents my experience. And so I'm not trying to make anything come out a certain way. Rather, I'm relating to my experience of a difficult state of anxiety with tenderness, with curiosity, with kindness. And so what happens is through my doodling, not only am I shifting my relationship to that experience, I'm also softening it because I'm giving myself the control. And then I have something to refer back to, my doodle, which I can then look at and say, oh yeah, I see you. Of course you're there. Of course I have you. That's one aspect of mindful doodling. Many of us doodle unconsciously. That's different. That's also useful. It really is. It does help us stay focused and it does help us organize our thinking. Mindfully doodling, however, we have intention and we have a consideration of, oh, here I am with myself, accepting who I am in this moment through my form giving, my ability to access. It's like accessing a dream and concretizing it because it's making the invisible visible. I find this really very exciting, which I think teachers, educators, we probably have to explore the advantage of that and utilize it as one of the form of teaching and learning. 
I honestly was not aware of doodling until I experienced this particular student. And then when I expanded my horizon, I said, wow, <laughs> this is so phenomenal. And the advantages, it's even a form of medication for this particular individual. I remember talking about it was neuroanatomy and neurophysiology when we do all these different pathways of the brain all the way to the skin, right? And it's so hard because for me, the way I dealt with that in medical school, I just memorized the heck out of these pathways. And I said, my memorization is phenomenal. I could memorize the entire textbook of medicine. But this person could not memorize and he made sense out of these pathways and he could retain that by doodling. And when he studies, he looks at all his doodle art and it makes sense to him. I looked at it, it would not make sense to me, but my creative thought is on a different spectrum. I think I was able to appreciate that form of education. We would like to hear more from you about doodling as of one of our tools to learn, and it may be nice for us to have that ability to factor in the contribution of doodling to our teaching and learning. This is really just fun in terms of being able to focus on a concept and bring it to real life with you the way you want to learn. It's very powerful. Right now, I'm involved in a formal research study with a university. We have an IRB, which is the Internal Review Board, has accepted this research with humans using the What's on My Mind doodle. In the Mindful Doodle book, there's templates of this is procrastination doodle. There's a what's on my mind doodle. And what we're doing is we're giving those individuals that are participating in the study an opportunity to empty the contents of your mind doodling and then choosing those doodles that are most beneficial to you in this moment in your life. And then really embellishing those and utilizing those to begin to create new habits of living your life through those thoughts rather than what we tend to do, which is rely on the negative thoughts, because the mind has a negativity bias, believe them and then live by them. And that's why anxiety and depression are so prevalent in the world. And this process we know helps us to inhabit our minds with a clearer, empowered perspective of noticing first the truth of what we're thinking and what really is important for us to pay attention to improve our lives, which increases feelings of hopefulness and optimism. <laughs> As if we haven't had enough with the virus, right? And Delta and now Omicron. And what is next? That will be great for people who can't focus or it's one of cognitive reframing, right? Like reframing the negativity and formulate a more positive and optimistic look about life. I have a copy of your book and I would certainly obtain that copy and just start thinking about how we could integrate doodling in our lives. This is so much fun and believe it or not, we are almost at the end of our podcast and it went by so fast. Would you mind sharing take-home points from our podcast today with our audience? I would love to. Thank you. First of all, the difference between art therapy and therapeutic art making. Art therapy requires an art therapist who's trained, who has graduate training, who holds a degree in art therapy on the master's level, at least with a lot of supervision and post-graduate school training. Whereas therapeutic art making is any kind of creativity in your life that your heart desires, which we know is healing in and of itself. 
that along with being with yourself through your personal imagery, knowing yourself in a way you wouldn't otherwise, with an art therapist if you need additional guidance, or with yourself and someone you trust for an experience that's certainly going to be helpful. And we know now that doodling gives you access to yourself in a way that you wouldn't have really otherwise, except through dreams, which we often don't remember. Those particular details are important for your listeners to hopefully take and run with and know that they have the abilities. They just don't need anything very special. You don't have to go to a store and spend a lot of money on supplies either. It's all available to you right now, as you are. That's and what I've been doing before. <laughs> and it is a self-compassionate behavior. It's treating yourself the way you would treat anyone you love when they're hurting, the same way that art making gives us that capacity. Amen. I am so happy that we have been doing this and that you shared your expertise on this podcast. And I'm hoping that we will follow it soon with another one. Thank you so much and looking forward to the new year. But sometimes it creates even anxiety. What is to look forward to for the new year? We thought after a year of COVID, that's it. We will conquer this. We had the vaccines. We have now antivirals. And then comes Omicron. And then I'm sure a few more mutations coming up. It's so hard to refocus and look forward to the new year. And I hope people could use art therapy or therapeutic art to help them thrive, not just survive. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I can't thank you enough for creating this podcast and bringing this vital information to your listeners. And hopefully people realize when you embody the work of being present and accepting of ourselves as we are with that curiosity and kindness, it's naturally helpful to everyone else because of mirror neurons. Other people benefit from your self-awareness mm -hmm. and your self-compassionate behaviors. Just know that. So it's a good contagion. <laughs> yeah, that would be a good contagion to have, right? Yeah, contaminate yeah. many people to develop this positive attitude and refocus their neurons and external connections. So show that book again. And I really would like to thank you. There you go, audience, mindful doodle book. Thank you so much. I would love to see the template on those and how to create this exercises in our daily lives. Yes, I'd love to offer that to you. That would be really fun. And maybe we had some doodlers during this podcast. Well, some people might be doodling, right? <laughs> and I would not take any more personal offense. <laughs> I'm seeing doodlers in my class. Yeah, yeah. I just want to say this is available through PESI, the publisher, P-E-S-I, mm -hmm. or, uh, or Amazon or Barnes & Noble or any basic bookseller. It's easily accessible. So thank you so much. Again. Thank you so much. And thank you for Bye. sharing your expertise. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to Medicine for Good podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share with family and friends. Rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Acast, and YouTube. Follow me on social media at Dr. Jet on Twitter and Facebook. Meanwhile, stay safe, stay well, and stay connected. See you in our next episode.